All right, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This morning's passage is from Genesis 4, 1 through 16. This is the holy word of God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. One of the things Grace, there we go. <laughs> what, what did you do to me? Um, so one of the things Grace of Peace is about is we're about bringing the healing of the gospel into every broken place, every broken heart, in order that we may see our city flourish, that it may look the way it was meant to look like, that our homes would be places of safety, of refuge, that they would be uh, the places God desires them to be. And we do that by connecting with God. So here on Sundays, what we do is we gather together in order that we may reorient our hearts, recalibrate them, so that they would point to the true north, so that they would point to God himself, the one whom our hearts were made for and the one whom our hearts yearn for. Next thing we do is we care for others. And the chief way that you can uh, be involved in caring for others and also being cared for is through our city groups that meet together. They learn from God's word and they also have community and time together. So if you're not involved in the city group, city groups are awesome. Please learn about them. Also, lastly, is we are preparing you, our hope and desire, is so that you would go out into the city, everywhere, 
and that you would reflect God's goodness, kindness, and love, and you would bring forth his character, and you would show forth God's goodness everywhere you go so that we would see healing, the healing of the gospel into all those places. Uh, just a quick announcement today, because we're going through the book of Genesis, and Genesis kind of brings up a whole bunch of questions that you, I will never answer up here. Like today, we're going to hear about um, Cain and Abel, and you're going to wonder, uh, who does Cain marry? That sounds weird. Like, where'd she come from? Like, just spring up out of the ground like an ear of corn or something, you know, just like, woo! You know, where'd she come from? And, and who in the world is trying to kill Cain? That doesn't make any sense. Where did they come from? Uh, this story doesn't answer that. And I'm, as I'm preaching today, it's, that's not the focus. Because that's not the focus of the narrative today. But let us get to the focus of the narrative. And it starts with a kid's story. Why do I start with a kid's story? Because I have four kids, okay? And I, use, I like to read my kids this wild story, and it makes little sense until you start thinking about the downward spiral effect that sin has on humanity. And so I will read to you children's book style, okay? There was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed that fly. And usually I throw in names there when, when they do wonderful stuff. That's Jeb. He's cute. And so I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. And then there's like these little characters. But it's only a fly. I think I'll cry. She gulped it out of the sky. Oh, my. You, now you're getting some insight into my home and why my kids act the way that they do. And. Like, oh boy, he's weird. There was an old lady who swallowed a spider that wiggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. Oh, gone to the by and by. Sigh. There was an old lady who swallowed a bird. I, how absurd. She swallowed a bird. Tweet, tweet, tweet. She swallowed the bird to catch the spider. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. She'll leave us high and dry. Um, the story keeps going on. But what you get from this is that she goes on this downward spiral. And in the end, swallowing a fly does end up leading to her death. Okay? And in the story that we have read in this narrative, it, it demonstrates for us that kind of as soon as we kind of tolerate big, little sins, we will start to tolerate big sins. And soon after, we find out that it's going to lead to our death. In fact, it demonstrates, this story demonstrates what is happening in the very beginning of the Bible. It's the downward spiral of humanity. Once Adam and Eve swallow the lie that they can be someone, that they can be free, that they can be independent without God, that they could achieve happiness apart from him, then it quickly devolves into murder. Humanity partakes in a downward spiral of sins. A fly, a spider, a bird, a cat, a dog, a dog, then a cow, a cow, then a horse, and then she dies as the story goes. So with the story of humanity is, they swallowed a lie. Um, I know what you're probably thinking. 
story time is probably really weird at the Hoppy House, especially if you suddenly like getting some philosophical take from uh, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Yes, I know it's really weird at my house because I also think that movies like uh, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, Mary Poppins is about nihilism, and uh, Star Wars Episode Eight is just postmodern deconstructionism. But I digress. Okay, <laughs> and my kids know this. I have discussed this at length with them, and so I'm pretty sure they're going to be great philosophers someday. Hopefully, it'll be awesome. But in this lie, though, that this swallow, that humanity swallowed, has sprung from a whole, it springs and brings about a whole other set of bad fruit. In it, we actually become less human and that we go from being image bearers to image destroyers and image killers. We see this in Cain's life. And so the lie from the serpent is now bearing fruit. And we will start to see that there are two ways to actually live. There's the way of the seed of the serpent and the way of the woman. The seed of the woman that started in Genesis 3. So there's two ways of living and it is now demonstrated very clearly whenever we see that there is this Cain and Abel. They act as foils for one another. They're opposed to one another. And it is the enmity between the serpent and the woman that is described in Genesis 3.15. The end of Genesis 3 leaves us with questions of how in the world do we get back to real life, real humanity? How in the world could we have paradise? How in the world could we have the world set right? Chapter 4 presents us, though, with two ways of living first set forth that was kind of portrayed for us in chapter 3. We see these two ways fighting against each other. And the focus of the story isn't to give you explanations on where the heck did uh, Cain's uh, oppressors come from, the people who would kill Cain, and where in the world did his wife come from. That isn't the part, point of the story. There are many explanations. You can find them on the internet. Some of them are acceptable. Some of them are weird. But that's not the point of this narrative. And so we see that there's a way of trusting God versus the way of trusting myself. See, ultimately, this story says that God provides the way of salvation. God does it. And there are two ways to approach it. There's the way of Cain and the way of Abel. If you're a point writer, the way of Cain and the way of Abel. And so the way of Cain... The way of Cain is the way of self-determination. It is life without God. It's the, I can do it myself. I have a child who at the age of like one and a half or maybe two years old insisted on buckling themselves up all the time. They're like, ugh. And I swear she was saying the poem Invictus, I am the master of my own fate, and just kind of like shooing hands trying to help her at all times. But this is the way of Cain. It's the way of the lie that tempted Eve in the garden. You can be like God, the serpent said, knowing good and evil. And this knowledge is primarily independence from God's word. Independence, it is self-determination. It is self-thinking. It is the self at center. The way of Cain is the belief that the lie is that you can be happy without God. That's the heart of the lie. And Cain demonstrates two ways to be lost. Two ways to be dead in sin. And what are those two ways? You could be religious 
or you could be irreligious. And Cain will do both versions of our, in our text. Furthermore, we see that this way continues throughout Scripture, and it portrays the offspring and is portrayed in the offspring of Cain and Enoch, and then between Seth and Enosh. There would be enmity between the offspring, and the Bible is now showing that this is the story of the headwaters of the enmity between the fighting of two different types of people. People of the serpent and the people of God. The narrator in this narrative indicates that Cain is the self-determining way. That Cain's name and Eve's declaration of his name indicates something about his character and about his person. So Cain, the name, she names him Cain because it means I possess or I achieve. I perform, I get. The focus is on the self, the I. This will be opposed to the end of the story where Eve declares after Abel has been killed, but then she's given another son. She says, God has appointed. Notice the noun, the person, the actor. I versus God. So there is a switch at the end of the story later on in the verses that is contrasting. Cain, though, which is really interesting, which means the ability to gain by, or, or the ability to get by one's own ends or one's own ability. So Eve declares, though, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Uh, Nice translation. Nice translation, but it kind of misses off uh, what is going on. If I were to read this in the Hebrew, it literally or flatly says this. It flatly says, I gained a man, the Lord. What in the world is she saying? What, what does that mean? And I think the narrator and the author is trying to show that Eve believed that she was achieving something. That she was achieving her greatness, her standard, everything that she needed in her life. This is it. I've got it. A man. Not a baby. She says a man. And then the way the Hebrew is constructed, it says literally a man, namely the Lord. It doesn't say with help. I mean, you can translate it that way. But I think the narrator is trying to get our ears to say, this is what she thinks. I can achieve I can get, I can possess. The way of Cain is a way of personal achievement. It is the life of achieve, fail paradigm in the world. And this paradigm sees that the world is a battle between achievers and failures. If you're not an achiever, guess what, yo? You are a failure. And oftentimes we feel that way, don't we? We always feel like we're a failure and so you know what I need to do? I need to, you know, put my head down. I need to white knuckle it. I need to get my act together in order that I can achieve. And that way, the world will approve of me, that I will have gained. And that's all what we do. And so, if this is the way we see it, so we see that that we have this problem, this feeling of failure, and maybe that we are failures. And then we use one sin to cover up another sin. And this is in stark contrast to the way Genesis 4 ends. It is not the way of self-achievement. It is the way 
It is the, the way of God is what we, what we need to look for. And Abel shows that better. So scripture refers to Cain's ways as being you, in, in Cain's ways and uses him as an archetypal character. He's one representing the dark side of the force in a certain way. In 1 John, in 1 John 3, 12 through 13, it states this about Cain. But we should not be like Cain, who was of the devil, uh, the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Meaning the root of Cain was sinful. And from this root came more sin. It was the inward self-determining need to prove himself that dooms him. It wasn't uh, just kind of his sin that made him corrupt, but it was his corrupt heart through which sin came. As Jesus was speaking to a group of strict religious leaders, he says to them in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And so he says, so Jesus is saying that even the religious can be an offspring of the serpent. Even the religious, even the most Christian people can be offspring of the serpent. And that's scary. It should be scary for all of us. Because maybe when we look at Cain, we see a little bit of ourselves. And so let's look at this. So Cain is religious. The way of Cain can be very religious. He makes an offering. You know what that means? Cain goes to church. Cain goes to church. But why did God have regard for Abel's offering and not Cain's? Uh, many people have spilt lots of ink on this, uh, but the truth is, is the reason why it is regard, his, his offering is regarded Abel's and not Cain's is because of the condition of the heart and the reasonings behind it was being offered. Notice with Cain, he, he says there is no description of exactly what he's giving. Notice it doesn't say... Uh, you know, he gave his first fruits. It says he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Uh, an offering of fruit of the ground was completely acceptable at the time. Uh, anyone who has read uh, Exodus or Leviticus would know that this is an acceptable offering. God receives offerings of grain and fruit. That's fine. And so does it make it, does it, make it less than because it's, it's of its substance? No. It was the heart of the one who was giving it. And so he approaches God with some presumption. He believes that just in the act of doing it, God will have to accept him. The assumption here is that when God doesn't pay regard to his offering, it exposes something about his heart. And here Cain is exposed. His offering, his religiousness, you know what it exposes? It was just a veil for his faithlessness. Because he trusted in himself and he didn't trust in God. He was more concerned, Cain was more concerned about his ability to achieve than he was concerned with God's ability to save. He was covering his bases, and when he's caught, his true colors are exposed. God asks, why are you angry? God gives him the opportunity to come clean. And all of us are given the opportunity to come clean. But Cain continues down the downward spiral. You can't achieve by your own efforts, uh, but only by what God gives you. 
True salvation, true peace can't be earned by your performance. It has to be granted. It cannot be earned. Religious duty done to earn God's approval is a major categorical error. That is not Christianity. That's moralism. If that is why you come to church, is to earn favor, to earn his welcome, then you're here for the wrong reasons. God doesn't accept you because you come to church. You come to church because you are welcome and accepted by God. Get it backwards, and you have major problems. But if you realize that in Jesus you have favor, then you come because you are welcome. You see, there wasn't anything wrong with Cain's offering, but there was something wrong with the one who was offering it. Cain was hoping to manipulate God. He believes that God operates on this achieve-fail paradigm. Obviously, God's going to accept me because of what I do. He thinks, you know, that, that he's failed, and so he, what does he do? He does more to correct his error. When he wasn't accepted, uh, Cain goes ballistic, and his brother is the one upon whom Cain will transfer his guilt. Whose fault is it? Obviously, it's that dirty Abel who offered in his offering. And so you see this resentment, bitterness that ends in murder. That's upon whom Cain will pour out his jealousy and anger. And many of us were sincere about our religious beliefs, but if we use it to cover up uh, what we don't want people to find out, then we're going to be really self-righteous towards other people. We're going to always try to be right. And then when people are wrong, we're like, ah, look how wrong they are. They're terrible. We're going to get on Twitter and we're going to tweet about it. Do you see this? This is so ridiculous. And then you kind of retweet them, nice little screenshot of how terrible they are. You know, and that's what we do. We put people on blast because we're so insecure. And so we, get become, we become even more religious. You know, it's, but how can you know? How can you know? Think for me for a second of this. Imagine God looks at you at the end and says, depart. I never knew you. If your first response is to give yourself a defense and say, what? I slaved for you. I gave up Sundays. I didn't watch football on Sundays. I could have done that. I didn't go skiing on Sundays. Look at how much I slaved for you. I went on missions trips. I did it for you. Do you know what you're doing? You're not worshiping God. You're trying to manipulate him. Trying to get him on your side. You see, you've got it in reverse. Notice it's all about your effort. In the end, you believe it's all about your performance. You'll end up being jealous about those people whom God blesses. Or you'll be very self-righteous to those who don't perform the religious dance as well as you do. Look at that misstep. You can get on Twitter and blast that person. That's what happens. Ask yourself this. Do you think yourself to be better than others because you're more busy? Because you can manage more kids? Because you don't sin as much or as bad as that person X? Then you're living a religious life in the way of Cain. It's no life of grace. 
That isn't the way it is. Ask yourself, do you always need to be right? Do you need to be the best theological mind in the room? Do you need to be high functioning? Do you need to keep everything together out here in order that nobody knows how terrible and scary and awful and insecure you feel in here? Ask yourself that. Do you find yourself always managing appearances so you could be more approvable? Or do you believe that you're approved by God's grace? In the end, you will always find yourself laying your guilt on other people. Those lazy people. Those sinners. You become resentful of those other people then who, become, who, who do good. And you'll become bitter and then you'll become vengeful. See, you could be really religious and yet still be a rebel at heart. If Christianity is about the grace of God, though, and it's freely granted, then religious sacrifice to get God on your side is satanic. It's like Flannery O'Connor said, the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Become really religious and you'll avoid Jesus. But soon, this religious cover-up will give way to an irreligious way. You know, and it'll be a failed cover-up. We see this irreligious plot of Cain in a failed cover-up. So it's also irreligious. Cain's sin starts with these religious overtones, but devolves into irreligious rebellion. He kills his brother. It mentions brother seven times in order that you would know how heinous this sin is. He didn't kill some random person out there. Oh no, the bitterness and just the deceitfulness of his heart and the corruption was so deep that he could look his brother in the eye and murder him. That's how bad it had gotten. And then he bold-faced lies to God himself. God comes and says, where is your brother? He gives, God gives another chance to come clean after he murders him. And what does Cain do? He tries to cover up even more by lying and says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then he says, as his punishment is given, he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. But your sin was greater than what your brother could bear, Abel. Come on. And lest I look down at Cain, I must know that the seeds of that sin reside in my heart too. I too can be religious. I too can be irreligious. And it devolves, this story devolves so much so that it goes to this person named Lamech who will go into poetry and tells his two wives, the first time that there's bigamy, notice that there's bigamy, uh, uh, more than one wife, and Lamech's the person who does it, and Lamech is like, terrible and evil okay that's what you need to know that's his character and then he's the one who does bigamy which makes you think what about having more than one wife it's not good don't follow him just 
Heads up. That's a free apologetic freebie for you out there. If your friends are like, I want to have two wives. Like, what an idiot. See how that goes in the Bible. The Bible backs it up. Whatever. Look at this. And so here's Lamech. But then he says, I will have more vengeance than God. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, that's God's vengeance, which is perfect. He's like, I've got perfect, perfect. Lamech says, 77-fold. That's my vengeance. It's like the I, the me monster has come out. You, ever, you know the me monster? I don't know if you guys know like Brian Regan, but there's a joke. But um, if you've ever been to a party with a friend, Brian Regan tells a story where he says, he starts telling a story where he had two wisdom teeth be pulled out. And he's like, oh, it was awful and different things like that. And of course, there's someone over there with a drink going, ha. Two wisdom teeth. Well, I had four, five, six. It was it was awful, and I I did this, and then he starts telling the stories about like like how you climbed the Mount Everest and stuff like that. And in the end, you know, there's always that one person at the end of the party is like, "Well, I walked on the moon." Anyone top that? You see, what happens is we start talking about the me, myself, and I all the time, and the me monster comes out, and that's Lamech. He's like. Look at me. And that's what the selfishness brings it to. But each way, the religious and the irreligious way, is a cover-up. Notice that they're all covering up for some sort of deficiency, insecurity, or something going on in their heart. Cain, from the outset, has a sinful heart. And Jesus says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning all our sins... All actual lies and trespasses come from a corrupted heart. Dysfunction springs out of dysfunction. Sin springs out of sin. And your heart can be ashamed. So your sinful heart can be ashamed. It can be wounded and it can be guilty. The ashamed heart is the heart that doesn't want to be found out. And some of us might be struggling with our sexuality. Some of us might be scared that anyone would know our past. Someone, some of us, uh, you know, are ashamed of the cars we drive. We feel ashamed of the houses we live in, and we don't want anyone to know what it looks like. You know, part of my story is this. I have covered up my life in my ashamed heart with competency. As a young person, one of the things I would do is I would never let my friends into the front door because if they were to step into that front door, they would realize something about my life. You would be able to smell the alcohol from my alcoholic dad and you'd be able to see him on the computer addicted to porn. So I can never let my friends in. More than that, I could never, ever let my friends know that there was anything wrong with, with my heart. So what did I do? I covered it up with competency. I'd be the smartest, the best achieving. I'd never have a problem for you to ask, well, what's wrong, Vince? I'd always have a smile, a good joke, something to cover it up. So I was always covering up this ashamed heart. And the same goes for the wounded heart. And my, uh, recently I was uh, up at Keystone at the top of the magic carpet talking to uh, this guy who was running the magic carpet while my little kids were making, going up and down making runs. And I asked him, hey man, you ready to get off today? He's like, yeah dude, I'm going to get off and I'm going to smoke a big blunt. And I'm like, 
All right, dude. Cool. Um, you know, so an irreligious guy is what I figure. And so I ask him, well, like, yeah, uh, why, do you, why do you smoke pot? And he goes, well, mostly it's an escape to find myself, he says. And, um, and I go, why? And he says, well, a couple years ago I got kicked out of the Navy. And I was really hurt and sad because my best friend had killed himself. And so he's covering up. He's covering up with just a wounded heart. And then he says, it's all good, man. And I look at him super sad going, dude, that's not good. Call it like it is. That's not good. So we cover up our wounded heart, and then out of a guilty heart, whether we like to hide our porn addiction, our alcoholism, our anger, and so we lie. We veil ourselves with service projects, religious meetings, leading small groups. We cover ourselves up by being busy, having really good kids, having good grades. It's all a cover-up for a heart that's been corrupted. But then we see this way of Abel. And the way of Abel is the way of faith. But obviously it's not faith in himself or his own ability. Oh, his name means just a mist or a vapor, Abel's name. And so it means that he is not, not narcissistically focused on self. Notice he was like a byword in, Eve, in the narrator's description. And then they gave birth to, to, to Abel, the second one. And so... He, he shows us the way of faith. And this faith is, give, is, is, just, is, is, a, is a way for him to have God's grace in his life. It is a vehicle for him. Notice that it is through his offering, God, Abel demonstrates this way of faith. Abel offers and gives God, and it says this, the firstborn, the fat portions. Uh, if there's ever a reason why, to say that God is okay with meat is, is right here. And he's also good with good meat. Not that lean meat. Not that, you know, like 97.3. I don't know what that is called. Um, and so he wants the fat portions. And so he gives it to him. Uh, he doesn't... It, you could also make a joke because he accepts the meat offering and has regard for that and, and not the salad. And so just, just saying. Anyway. Abel, Abel's offering demonstrates that, God, that it is God who brings the blessing. Abel says, I will give you the best because I know that you, could pot, you can give more. Because I don't need it in order to make myself wonderful. In order to feel like I have achieved. And so in the same way, whenever we give, we give to church, we give to God, we give to other things, charities. We give our time, talents, resources. And we give God our best. It is a way of demonstrating that we trust him to provide for us. Cain trusted in the work of his own hands. Abel trusted in the ability of God to provide. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In the text, 
here it says that Abel's blood speaks to God from the ground. It calls out and it cries out. It cries out for justice. And what does it say? What does it say to all of us? It says you're condemned. And it says no amount of religious performance, no amount of busyness, no amount of money, no amount of theology reading, no amount of well-functioning kids getting into college, no amount of good cars, none of that could possibly make you just and righteous before God. It just can't do it. It can't shut the accusations down. The word on you is that you're condemned. Isn't that scary? And no performance could possibly get it back together. But this isn't the ending message of Christianity. It isn't that you are condemned and now you need to earn it back or you need to get back good with God. No, God gives himself to save you. Hebrews 12, 24 says this, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If Abel's blood cries out for our condemnation, then Jesus' blood calls out for our acquittal and our forgiveness. At the cross, Jesus is the one who takes all our sin. And we, by faith, say, yes, you take it all. Our resentment, our bitterness, our hatred, our murder, our slander, everything we deserve, our condemnation, and it is placed on him. And his blood doesn't cry out for justice against you. No, it cries out for our justification. It speaks not for our condemnation, but for our forgiveness. Abel had faith in God's way, his mercy, his grace. He doesn't just destroy Cain. No, God has mercy on Cain, even when he sends him out. There's a story of forgiveness in South Africa that demonstrates God's forgiveness of the Cain in all of us. During the end of apartheid, which was government uh, enforced segregation in South Africa, there's a story of a man who is named Mr. Vanderbrick. Mr. Vanderbrick was a police officer and he was white. He would go into the ghettos and what he did one day with his friends joking, they found a young man, they took him, they beat him, they killed him, and they burned his body. A few years later, Mr. Vanderbrick came back to the same place and ended up finding the father of this child that he had killed and did the same to the father. And in the court hearing, the mother does something extraordinary as they were interviewing her and asking her what she thought of the sentence, she says this. And the woman, and this is recorded in the story, and now the woman stands at the courtroom and listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbrick. He had confessed to his crimes and his sins. 
A member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? Their blood cried out for justice. And she says this, I want three things. Begins the old woman calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent trial. She pauses then continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vanderbrick to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbrick now to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband, and so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom that I can take Mr. Vanderbrick in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants come to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbrick, overwhelmed by what he had just heard, faints. And as he does, those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing softly but assuredly, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And for all of us, there's a little bit of Cain in each of our hearts. There's a little bit of Cain in each of our hearts. But judgment doesn't get the last word, does it? You see, if you believe that Jesus Christ has taken all the penalties for your sin, he's taken it all. And that you confess that, not like what Cain did, who said, I couldn't bear this. But if you confess it, then it falls on Jesus and all your sins are transferred to him. And his blood does not speak for justice against you, but speaks for your forgiveness and your acceptance. And so the last word is not judgment, but it's that you are just. Let us pray. Almighty God, it is in your love that you continue to come to us and confront us and you tell us, you invite us to confess our sins and we know that we do have an advocate, that we do have one on whom all our sins are placed on, in whom we can have forgiveness. And then you lavish your love on us unending. Lord, help us now to see that in this bread and in this drink that we have Jesus in whom we trust, and whom our sins are placed on. And we don't have to cover ourselves up anymore because it is him who covers us. And we are righteous and accepted and just because his blood covers us. Lord, if we are making this confession for the first time, 
Help us to confess in spirit and truth. Help us to tell somebody. Lord, I pray that we would know the depths of your love that covers our shame, covers our wounds, covers our guilt, and gives us new hearts. Because it is your blood, Jesus, that speaks a better word than Abel. Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Here at Grace and Peace, we come forward for the Lord's table, and you're invited to this table not because you are worthy or you've got it together, but because you confess your need for Him. And it is Jesus who makes us worthy. And so we ask that you you would come, and when you receive bread, you take it, you eat it. And then uh, there's gluten-free bread on the front of the table, and there is grape juice on the outer rings and wine on the inner rings. You come and you drink and eat in remembrance of the one who gave his life. But if you do not uh, confess Jesus Christ or profess him as your Lord and Savior, if you do not believe that he has taken your sin and that it was on him that whom your sin was placed, and he died for you and is risen again, and you have new life in him? If that's not your confession, we ask that you don't do anything inauthentic to where you are in your spiritual journey. But if you believe that message, if you belong to a church that is, it preaches grace, preaches the gospel, then you are welcome to this meal because this isn't the meal of the Presbyterian Church of America. This is the Lord's Supper. So we ask that you come and take. And since this is a meal in faith, let us us proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this meal. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ come again. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you likewise after supper was ended Jesus took the cup and said this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood and drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let us pray. Almighty God, meet us now in this supper, in this meal. Help us to see and know your sacrifice for us, your sacrifice of love, that we can't get you on our side, but rather you come to our side so that we may be yours. Lord, help us to know you and to know this word, this judgment over us is not that we stand accused and condemned and we need to make our lives better, but rather we are just and righteous and accepted by you, our Lord and Savior, and therefore that becomes our acquittal and our right standing It is our justification in the world. Help us to get that at the heart. 
ask and we pray these things in Christ's name.